0: Merry Christmas everyone. Merry Christmas. What's disturbing to me is why would one of my staff members have a picture of me in their dining room in the first place? That's weird. My name is Tim. This is my 27th Christmas season to preach at this church. And it just keeps getting better and better. Crazy. First time we did a Christmas Eve service, we did one. This year we have 19. Come on, this is awesome. We have four at our Homer campus uh, in Homer Glen on 159th Street. We've got four services going on over there. And uh, as of today, we will have five services at our new Linux campus. And they are grand opening this weekend. This, this weekend, this is awesome. Huge welcome to all of you who are watching online. Huge welcome to you at the new Linux campus, at the new campus, and to you at Homer, and to those of you who are here with us. It's just fun that we get to do this all together. And it's also fun that the world celebrates with us. I mean, usually the world celebrates with us with a nativity scene in some way or another, whether they worship Jesus or not. How many of you have a nativity scene in your house, okay, or outside, inside? All right, a few heathens in here, but for the most part, all my friends are heathen take is slow. It's okay, I'm just kidding. You're not a heathen, okay? Having a nativity scene doesn't make you a Christian. I watch Tom Cruise movies that doesn't make me a Scientologist, okay? Here's what I'm saying. This is usually the key to the deal, though, having nativity, right? And there are a lot of ways to do it. My wife likes to collect them from different countries that we go to on missions trips. We've been to South America. Here's one from Bolivia that I think is really cool. She's got a whole shelf full of all these different ones. We've got some from Israel um, being there, several from Africa. The two on the bottom are from Rwanda and Kenya. We're in Malawi. We do a lot of work in Africa. We've got one from Wisconsin Um, it doesn't, uh, (laughs) it doesn't usually last all the way to Christmas, but you, you know, and listen, I want to help you. Those of you that didn't raise your hand, if you want to do one on a budget, here's an idea for you, nativity on a budget, just, just some Coke cans and some camels. That's all you need, right? Perfect. Or I don't know if you've seen this, this sold out at $130 a pop, the hipster nativity scene. They sold these this year for the first time, okay? Mary and Joseph are taking selfies with baby Jesus. The wise men are on segues, and their gifts are from Amazon. I love that. They got, they, you know, They got them shipped right there, right? And the cow's 100% organic, eating gluten-free feed. I mean, this is great, isn't it? They sold out of these because it it, it hits who we are. However, the nativity scene, the creche, whatever you want to call it, wasn't a part of Christmas for the first 12 centuries of Christianity. I did some research on it, and and it's something that St. Francis of Assisi, the Pope's namesake, St. Francis, came up with in 1223. Do you want to know why? I'm not making this up. Because Christmas had become more about materialism and gift-giving than the birth of Christ. Things never change, do they? In 1223. I love this scene. It feels like Christmas, but I'm going to blow it up today. Okay? And I promise I have good reason, but I want to tell you what's wrong with it. Okay? Just, 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 Just go with me for a minute. Okay? I mean, I've got Santa in here. Right, okay, so, you know, I mean, that's kind of obvious. I mean, no, Santa wasn't there, okay, but St. Nick was was a good dude. Lighten up, Christians, will you please, okay? Santa was a great dude, and just because you can change the letters around in his name and spell Satan... Doesn't mean you should, okay? Leave Santa alone. I love Santa. I know him, okay? He's alright. He can be up there, okay? It's just fun. It's part of Christmas, right? But what else? The, the, the wise men are here. Should the wise men be here? After 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 Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and said, Where's the one who's been born, the king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Okay? Unless the star was there for a long time before Jesus got there, probably the wise men aren't really a part of this scene. Okay? They probably didn't come until later. Remember when King Herod finds out about it, talks to the Magi, he kills the baby boys in the region of Bethlehem who are age two and under because of the time the Magi told him. So the truth of the matter is, the wise men may not show up to this party until next Christmas. It doesn't matter. It's super cool that they're there. I'm not telling you to mess with your decorations. I just want you to understand the facts, okay? The reason it's cool that they're there is because they are literally heathens. They are from a different religion, from a different country. And the real irony of the story is that consulting the stars was forbidden by God in the Old Testament for the Jews. And these guys aren't Jews. They're just people who look at the stars and follow the stars. And even though God has forbidden it, he used a star to lead these people. He will take and use whatever it is that he needs to, to draw you to him and to his son. In other words, I don't care what kind of heathen you are. You are welcome here. And hey, we feel the same way, all right? So we'll just go with hashtag heathenswelcome. <laughs> a lot of hashtags tonight. We're just going with it, Okay. But but if we're going to be literal for a few minutes, we at least need to, you know, like put them over here. They're on their way, okay? They're on their way. They're not really in this scene, okay? What else do we have? We have shepherds, right? Shepherds living out in the fields nearby, okay? Nearby. You see that? I want you to make sure you pay attention to that. Keeping watch over their flocks at night, the angel of the Lord appeared to them and said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and laying in a manger. Okay? So we know the manger's in there. We know the baby's in there. Obviously, they're in the story. Shepherd gets to stay because he's nearby. Okay? Baby... And you know, one little girl said Jesus' is car seat, whatever, whatever your kids think it is, all good. Baby Manger, part of the scene. Okay, we're finding all the things that are supposed to be there. That's the things that are supposed to be there. Significance of the shepherds. Significance of the shepherds is that they were the lowest people on the social totem pole that there was. And God chose the shepherds to be the ones that were the first witnesses that the announcement of the birth of his son came to. So what are we going with? Hashtag rednecks welcome. Okay? (laughs) So if you're a heathen here today, welcome. If you're a redneck here today, welcome. You are my people. Okay? Let's keep going. Who else is in the scene? We got Joseph, right? Well, yeah, he was there. But here's where we start doing some assuming. And you know what happens when you do that, right? Here, here it is, okay? Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, city of David, because he belonged to the house in line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. All right, so obviously Mary has to be here. I mean, obviously that, you know, she's a part of this scene. Joseph is there. He is a part. But here's, here's what I want to unpack. We assume... Because we picture the fact that this young couple is out in a barn all by themselves having a baby, that Joseph was not only there, but he was playing doctor and helping Mary have the baby. Isn't that what you've thought all your life? I mean, that's always been my image, probably the way I preached it. Just these poor couple out in this barn, you know, doing this thing, having this baby. The truth is... We know this. At different times in history, men have been a part of the birthing process or not a part of the birthing process. My dad was not allowed in the room when I was born. He still thinks I was switched at birth. Okay, He's convinced. (laughs) And, and, And it wasn't always that way. Here's a video advertisement I found online for a birthing center from the 50s. Watch this.
1: ...or is the expectant father forgotten. Here he can get the news officially and suffer under the most comfortable circumstances possible.
0: All right, smoking in the waiting room. Isn't that great? In your suit. I mean, this is great. I'm glad, I'm glad times have come along. And I think Joseph is there, okay? Don't, don't get me wrong. I just don't think he's alone. What we know about the times and the customs of the culture of that day... I think we should add some people. You don't have to study too much history to understand that our assumptions about this story are not really grounded in any reality. We think that Mary and Joseph show up in Bethlehem, and it's crowded because of the census. We know that. So they were rejected by the Marriott. They were rejected by the Hilton, by the Best Western. Motel 6 didn't leave the light on for them for crying out loud. So Mary and Joseph are alone out in a barn having a baby. I've preached it that way, and you believed me. Why do we do that? because other preachers have told us that, because of the Christmas carol writers have told us that. But let's just ask some questions about this scene. Why do we think, first of all, Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem alone? I mean, if they're from the house and lineage of David, isn't all their family also from the house and lineage of David? Unless Joseph is adopted, this whole family should be going to Bethlehem for the census also. Am I right? And they would have gone as a group. That's how they would have traveled. The only thing the Bible says is there is no room in the inn. There might have been no room at the inn because they had the whole Duggar family with them. (laughs) Well, Well, we're pretty set out here in the RV, but if the kids could stay with you, we could use a little private time, if you know what I'm saying. Maybe it was like Christmas vacation, you know, it was just people everywhere. and Maybe their parents were there. I mean, we don't know. We don't know that they weren't. Maybe they got a pass because they were older, didn't have to travel, but their siblings and their cousins all had the same decree. That's mind-boggling, isn't it? I hadn't thought about it. But even if they were alone, what do we do with it? The customs and practices of the Jewish people in that day would have never left them alone to have a baby. There would have been women in Bethlehem who served as midwives for the younger women having babies. This couple is related to the people of Bethlehem. Bethlehem is Mayberry, okay? Even if on the strange occurrence that they didn't have anybody with them, they knew there would be some nice woman to help them, probably a whole bunch of them. So you need to add a little nurse Barbie into your nativity set. If you wanna make this thing make sense. Well, let's go farther. Who says it was an inn? Well, Bible does, preacher, don't you read your Bible? Yeah, I I, I do, and I always read it that way too because that's how it was translated, but it was translated from the Greek 1,600 years later, and it was translated incorrectly because the Greek word kataluma means literally guest room. And it's actually the exact same word as the place in Luke chapter 22 where Jesus says, go ask the guy if we can use his guest room to have the last supper. They didn't have the last supper at the Hyatt. And there would have been no motels in Bethlehem. Only the Roman government would have had inns and they wouldn't have had one in Bethlehem because it was of no significance. Actually, if you go look online and look at the newer versions of the Bible. They've actually translated it correctly now. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. That is the correct translation. No guest room. We don't know if this is talking about like an Airbnb situation or, you know, if this is just basically saying the town is full of people. Here's what's really going to blow your mind. Who says there's a stable? Well, doesn't the Bible say that? Smelly barn with animals? No, it doesn't say that at all. All it says is that Jesus was born in a manger because there was no room in the inn, okay? Okay. Uh, That's it. No room in the guest room, actually, is what it says. So Jesus was born in a stable? No. He was born in a manger. I have a manger in here. Does that make this a stable? No. Do you see any cows in here? No, it doesn't. And speaking of cows, were there animals? I mean, we're assuming that just because there was a manger, there were animals, but these people are smart enough to get the animals out of the guest room while the lady's having a baby. Get the animals out of there. That's gross. She's having a baby. You start to see how this is working. This all changed for me several years ago when I got to go to Israel finally for the first time, and the guide was explaining to us how wrong this whole thing is. This thing goes like this. Jesus was laid in a manger. Mangers are naturally found in animal stables, ergo, Jesus was born in a stable. However, in one room peasant homes of the Middle East, the manger was built into the floor of the house. In the floor of the house. Here's a picture uh, 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 just a, a picture of what the first century house would have looked like upstairs was a living space. If there was a guest room, it was up there. Uh, And they basically all lived in a one-room place with a little bit of stairs. And the animals would be down low only at night. Okay, the manger was built into the floor and four feet lower in most homes was a place where they would bring in an animal. They only had one usually, a cow or a donkey or a goat or whatever. They would bring the animal in at night for safety and it would sleep in the house. But in a lower area of the house, here's Here's an actual facsimile of what it would have looked like, a, a recreation of what that would have looked like. If they had an animal in there, it would have been over in the corner. It wouldn't have been close to having a baby. And they probably would have kicked it out for the night anyway because they had so many people there. Here's what's crazy. Most scholars, actually all scholars who have actually studied it, believe that Jesus was actually born in someone's home. That messes with you, doesn't it? But I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. Okay, Ricky Bobby, I get it. I'm not trying to mess everything up, okay? I don't think you need to go home and throw your nativity set away. I'm not trying to minimize the story in any way. I want to make it more real to you, okay? The trip was long and hard. They definitely weren't home. All those things we normally talk about, that's important. But the whole point of God coming down to earth was that Jesus came down to be like us. And I wasn't born in a barn, and neither were you. The problem with the stable, one one Scholar said, is that it distances us, Jesus, from the rest of us. It puts even his birth in a unique setting, in some ways as remote from life as if he had been born in Caesar's palace. The message of the incarnation is that Jesus is one of us. He came to be what we are, and it fits well with that theology that his birth, in fact, took place in a normal, crowded, warm, welcoming home just like any other Jewish boy of his time. That's crazy. But it makes more sense. For this reason, he had to be made like them, like us, Jesus, fully human in every way in order that he might become the merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. He came to be like us, and nobody was born in a barn. I know your dad always liked to ask you that when you left the door open, but you didn't. You weren't. and I can't relate to barn Jesus as easily as I can relate to peasant Jesus, to common Jesus, to a man who seemingly came to the earth just like every other man. Yeah, Mary and Joseph were poor. We know this because their sacrifice at the temple at his dedication was two doves. And the Old Testament law said that the sacrifice for a baby dedication was a lamb. But if you couldn't afford a lamb, you could sacrifice two doves. And Mary and Joseph sacrificed two doves. The Bible tells us that. Do you not think they would have bent over backwards to pay for a lamb to sacrifice for their son since they know he's the son of God? They would have put it on their credit card like you did all your kids' presents, right? This holiday. But they couldn't even get a credit card. They were too poor. That, that we can relate to. Christmas Jesus was a poor peasant. And everybody can relate to that. Hashtag poor peasants welcome. The Christmas Jesus didn't feel very loved. He didn't feel very welcomed. Even when he was older, they they made fun of him for being illegitimate. It's a, not a big deal today, but back in that day, it was a big deal. And everybody knew that, that Mary became pregnant and they weren't married yet. And no matter what happened, they always looked at him through the eyes of somebody who wasn't good enough. And then there's that whole refugee thing. I mean, guys, in the middle of this Syrian crisis we got going on right now, please don't forget that Jesus had to flee to Egypt and become a refugee because Herod was trying to kill him. So we go with hashtag unwelcome, welcome. If you feel poor, like a poor peasant, you're welcome. If you feel like like you're not welcome because of your past or, or because of who you are, or you just don't feel at home where you are, that's what we can relate to with Jesus. Again, the three kings, outsiders looking to make their way to God. They're heathens, but hashtag heathens are welcome. Again, the shepherds, the lowliest in the area. Do you know that shepherds were not even allowed to give testimony in a court of law because nobody trusted them? And the fact that these guys were on the night shift probably meant that they were kids. And they represent the fact that God chose the least likely witnesses of his son's birth. So we're back to the rednecks, welcome also. Do you see this? This is what I can relate to. Rednecks, the people who, you know, they're at the low end of the social totem pole, the heathens uh, that don't believe the right way. Maybe that's you. Uh, Unwelcome, the poor peasants. Those are the things I can relate to. Everybody can relate to that. And the point of the incarnation is that we're supposed to be able to relate to him. I'll tell you more about why this story is important. In a minute. Right now, let's let Pastor Todd tell us why this whole thing had to happen in the first place.
1: Have you ever wondered how God did what He did? I mean, how He made Himself human? How did He do that? I have no idea how He did it, but I do know why He did it. It reminds me of a story I heard a while back about a man who lived about a hundred years ago in a little farming community in the Midwest. This man didn't really believe in the spiritual meaning of Christmas and Jesus and that sort of thing. He thought, you know, God becoming a man, that's ridiculous. His wife, on the other hand, believed deeply in the meaning of Christmas and who Jesus was. And she raised her children to believe that as well. One Christmas Eve the wife comes to her husband and and she makes that usual request that he would go to church with them at their Christmas Eve services at their little farming community church. The husband of course makes his usual you know excuses. The wife really doesn't want to get into a fight so she just bundles up the kids and takes them off to church. As his family takes off, he can feel the wind getting stronger, it begins to snow a little bit, and it's only about 10 minutes after his family leaves that the man begins to hear a thump up against the windows of his house, and he just tries to ignore it, but he can't. He continues to hear it, and so he goes and looks outside, doesn't see anything, so he puts on a cap and some gloves and a scarf and coat and some boots and he goes out into his yard, and he makes the most amazing discovery. Between his house and his barn is a huge flock of geese, and these birds have somehow been caught there in the storm, and they didn't have any food, and they didn't have any shelter, and they weren't going to make it. And the man just immediately and instinctively wanted to help the birds. And that's when he noticed his barn. The barn would be a perfect place for these birds to weather the storm. And so the man went over to his barn and flung the barn doors open, hoping that the geese would just go right inside. And he stood back and he watched. But it's like the geese didn't even realize what the man was doing. And so he turned around and he went inside and he grabbed some bread. And he laid a little breadcrumb trail from the middle of his yard into the barn hoping that the birds would follow the bread trail into the barn. And he stood back, and again, the birds, it was like they didn't even notice what the man was doing. Finally, in his frustration, the man goes into the barn and gets a broom. And he just kind of tries to shoo the birds into the barn. And of course, they scattered in every direction except into the barn. The man said out loud, How in the world am I going to help these birds? They're not going to follow me. How can I save them? I would have to become like one of these birds. If I could just become like them, then maybe they would follow me. And then I could save them. And at that moment, the man realized exactly what he had just said. That if I could just become like them, Then maybe they would follow me, and then I could save them. Today we've gathered to remember that some 2,000 years ago, the God of the universe essentially said the very same thing that if I could just become like them, then maybe they would follow me, and then I could save them. And God himself became a baby named Jesus.
0: There's no guessing why St. Francis wanted to come back and do something about getting us back on the focus of Jesus and the nativity. We desperately needed to do that. So again, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to blow up the story, but here's why this is important to me. Maybe this just seems interesting to me because I love blowing up religious traditions, okay? Because I, I, I'll admit this. This is my, like, my hobby, okay? A lot of times, religious traditions get in the way of a relationship with God. And Jesus hated it as much as I did. One day, the Pharisees are giving him a hard time because he didn't wash his hands correctly, ceremoniously, the right way. And Jesus said, you, Isaiah, the prophet, was right when he prophesied about you, hypocrites, The people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You have let go of the commands of God, and you're holding on to human traditions. Again, I don't think this is a bad human tradition, but sometimes we hang on to things that get in the way of our relationship with God. I'm talking to a bunch of people out there right now who are listening to me because somebody twisted your arm and asked you to come. Or to watch it online, or they wanted you to see this new campus at Homer Glen, or the brand new campus at New Lenox, or see a church that can actually pull off Trans Siberian Orchestra. Thank you very much. But but and you came, but you and Jesus aren't connected because you've been told that Jesus wants you to do this or to do that or you're just not sure you can do it. Jesus wants you to act this way. He wants you to live this way. He wants you to vote this way. You know, don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. That's what I grew up with. Don't eat meat this day. Don't work on this day, which ironically was never the Sabbath, by the way. Don't listen to this kind of music. Don't have facial hair. That was my Bible college problem, okay? Maybe it's forced you away from Jesus because all of these extra made-up things, and it's so frustrating to me when they tell us stuff, and it's not true. I mean, it's not just Bible stuff, right? I mean, like back when I was a kid, I couldn't go swimming after lunch for an hour. Based on what? No medical evidence whatsoever. Somebody made it up. Think of all the swim time I lost as a kid growing up. It's a travesty. It's ridiculous. When I was a kid, my mom used to make me mow the yard in my shoes. One day I was like, mom, I want to mow the grass barefoot. She's like, no, you've got to wear shoes. I'm like, it gets my shoes all green. My Converse All-Stars are getting all green. I don't want that. She said, no, you've got to wear shoes. What happens if, if you run over your foot with a mower? I'm like, really, if I stick my foot in a blade that's going 75 miles an hour, do you think that little canvas thing is going to help protect me? It was hard being my mom. She finally said, do whatever you want, but if you cut off your foot, don't come running to me. (laughs) At the very least, people, please do not let someone else's idea of Jesus keep you from a relationship with Jesus. I need to say that again. Please don't let someone else's idea of Jesus keep you from a relationship with Jesus. Maybe I'm talking to some people, and it's not the made-up stuff that, that's the problem. it's the stuff you do know that is sin in your life and causes you to feel far from God, because the religious people have told you that you've got to get all that cleaned up before you can have a relationship with your heavenly Father. And that's not how it goes. The Bible says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The same Lord is the Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone, in case you haven't got the point yet, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God does want you to get your life cleaned up, but you can't do it without his help. I want my life cleaned up and he is helping me. But I'm also forgiven, and I'm going to live forever based on what Jesus did on the cross and based on the fact that I opened my heart and my home to him and not based on how I got my life cleaned up. The other thing that's really bugging me about this story is this guy. This poor guy. I've been thinking about this guy a lot, this random guy that I've been dissing all my life, the innkeeper, okay? This is the innkeeper for me. You need to add an innkeeper to your nativity scene. Who who is this guy that all the church plays have been about? There's no room at the inn. He's a bad guy. He's too materialistic. He's too cold-hearted. He sent the mother Mary and the baby out to have the baby in the barn. No, he didn't. None of that is in the Bible. He wasn't even an innkeeper. He was probably just a normal person who had a bunch of company at his house already when his cousins show up at his doorstep and are expecting a baby. And he was probably the opposite of everything that you've ever been told by me or any other preacher. He was probably a good guy. Yeah, maybe he should have kicked his mother-in-law out of the guest room. I don't know. Maybe she should have volunteered to get out of there in the first place. But if we really read the story correctly, this guy probably did invite Mary and Joseph and the baby into his house. That's the only way the baby would have been laid in a manger. This guy is just a normal guy. He's got a home. He's got a guest room. Maybe he's renting it out. Maybe he's not. We don't know. He's got a donkey or a goat or some sheep, and he's eking out an existence in a Small town without much hope of anything ever changing as long as there is Roman oppression. Probably has a wife and some kids. Maybe things are good. Maybe they're not. He's got a religious background. He didn't have any choice. He grew up Jewish. That's who he is. This guy is Bobby Bethlehem. Okay? That's who he is. Stop calling him the innkeeper, because that's not who he is. He's Bobby Bethlehem, and he's just like you, and he's just like me. Molly Mokina, he's, he's Tom Tenley, Nancy New Lennox, Homer, Homer. He, he, <laughs> he, he wasn't bad people. He's not bad people. Who's the bad people? Herod is the bad people. Herod is the one that was threatened by Jesus. So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Don't be Herod, but hashtag Be the innkeeper. Be the innkeeper. Open some room in your heart for Jesus. Just let him in. A wise man followed the best they knew how. The shepherd said, let us go to Bethlehem. Best they knew how. Joseph obeyed and took Mary as his wife and did everything that he could. And I believe that the innkeeper invited Jesus in. One of my favorite stories the Christmas season is about nine-year-old Wallace Perling. Wallace was larger than most kids, but he was also a little bit slow. The children all liked him. He was bigger than they, but he never bullied them. In fact, he was the ever-present defender of the smaller boys. Well, this year Wally wanted to be very much wanted to be in the Christmas play, and he hoped to be a shepherd, but the teacher had a larger part in mind. Wally was big enough to be the innkeeper, she reasoned. And so Wallace Purling got the part. On the night of the play, everything went beautifully. No one even missed a line. At Last, the play came to the part where Mary and Joseph knocked on the door of the inn. "'What do you want?' Wallace asked, opening the door with a brusque gesture. "'We seek lodging,' came the response. "'Seek it elsewhere. The inn is filled.' "'But, sir, we have tried elsewhere. We've come a long way. We're very tired,' they responded. "'Go away,' Wally properly commanded.' There is no room in the inn for you. But, sir, my wife is with child. Don't you have a corner where we can get out of the cold? For the first time, the innkeeper broke his icy stare and looked at Mary, and there was a long silence. The audience was tense with embarrassment because they thought Wallace had forgotten his lines. No, be gone, the prompter whispered. No, be gone, Wally said half-heartedly. Joseph sadly placed his arm around Mary as they began to move off the stage. Suddenly, this Christmas program became different than all the others. Wallace Perling could stand it no longer. Big as he was, cruel he would never be. With big tears welling up in his eyes, he gave a performance others would never forget. Wait, don't go, Joseph, Wally called. Bring Mary back. Wallace Perling's face grew into a bright smile. You can have my room and I'll sleep out in the barn. Some said the pageant was ruined. Others knew better. The reason I love that story so much is because I actually think that's what happened. We've just never given the guy any credit. What does it mean for you? Open up some room in your heart, in, in, in the home of your house of your heart for Jesus. Let every heart prepare him room. That's what it means. Open up. If people have told you you aren't good enough, forget about that. If people have told you traditions and you have to be this way and all these different things, forget about all that for just a while. Just a moment this Christmas Eve. And open up a place in your house for Jesus. I'm going to pray for us right now. And I'm going to invite you, if you want to do that today, to pray this prayer with me and invite him in. Maybe he's already in, or maybe he was in and, and, and you kicked him out for a while. All of us need to let Jesus in this Christmas season. Let's do it together. Lord, as I sit here in this house scene, realizing that my heart is a home. I'm thinking about how radically different this story is for me now that this guy that we've been blaming all these years for being cold hearted and sending you out to be born in a barn (laughs) just got a raw deal because we assumed a lot from scripture. And honestly, he probably did what any good person would have done under the circumstances and he allowed you to be born in his home. He allowed the baby in his house. He allowed God to come and be incarnation in his home. And I'm asking that you help us do that right now. Lord, for those who are listening to me right now, who, who are ready to do that, just, just let them pray with me right now, Lord. Jesus, I want you to come in Maybe you were in earlier in my life, maybe not. Maybe I just am confused. Maybe I don't know, but here's what I know. Right now, today, Christmas 2016, I am inviting you in. Be the Lord of my life. I need you to save me. I need your forgiveness. I want to follow you. Lord, all of us need to pray this prayer this Christmas. And it's this simple. You went to this extreme measure to come down as a tiny little baby so that I could relate to you and you could show me how much you loved me. And you grew up and you died on a cross to pay for my sin. And you rose again so that I would know that I can too. That's a party. We celebrate it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, baby Jesus. Welcome home. I want to help you along the way. Um, if you prayed that prayer, I want to ask you to raise your hand right now. Just, just make a commitment of it right now. Raise your hand and tell me, I prayed that prayer, okay? Okay. A lot of hands. I see a lot of hands around, okay? I'm not going to bug you on this. I want to help you. But I want to give you a couple of ways, if you want to welcome Jesus into your heart, into your home, this Christmas. You can put that on your card. If you already turned in your card in the offering, just write welcome on the card if you have it. Write welcome and put some information on there. Give it to somebody at the door on the way out or go to our next steps booth and we will help you. Or just go out there if you don't have the card anymore and give them some information and we will contact you. Or if you want to be more discreet about it, you can text welcome to 62953. And I promise we're not going to blow up your phone. You'll get one message from us, and we will help you. Welcome to 62953, and we will help you take the next step of your journey. That's what we're here for, and we want to help you. We're going to take communion now and then move into the candle lighting, the end of our service. And I just want to tell you, some of you, this is going to be a new communion for you because you just made a decision to welcome Jesus in. You didn't know it could be this easy, but it says it could be this easy. It is this easy. You invite him in, and, and then we celebrate. We commemorate his death and his, his, his burial and his resurrection in this last supper moment where we eat the bread and we drink the cup. It's a sacrament that unites us with him, and it could be in a new way for you. And you need to understand how we do it here. I know not a lot of you aren't from here. Uh, it's a tray that comes by. It's got cups in it. You take out both. There's two cups, one inside of the other one, and take out both of them as the trays come by. And, and just hold on to both of these little plastic cups, and we'll all come back together and do it in unison. And you don't have to be from Parkview. If you're a believer, we, we're glad you're here. Please join us. Let's pray. Lord, I pray a blessing on this crowd, on this audience, on, on this Christmas story we're hearing for a little bit different and uh, a little bit different way this Christmas season. I'm preaching it in a way different way this Christmas season. It doesn't take anything away from what you did when you came down because you came down to be like me. So you were probably born in a warm, welcoming home just like every other Jewish boy. And you grew up like every other Jewish boy. And you were in every way human, just like me. Except that you were sinless. And that you were sinless. And and so that when you went to the cross, you could be the perfect sacrifice for me. Who is certainly not sinless. We commemorate that now during communion. And we are so grateful.